the number you have reached, 911, has been changed to a non-published number. You're listening to UCW Radio. In your face. Welcome to another segment of UCW Radio. This is your host, Lou, a.k.a. Falcon Coparis. And I want to thank all of our listeners for the continued support just by listening to the show and listening to the stories, the stories of the journeys of the amazing guests that we have on the show. I have so much gratitude to these guests and so much appreciation for them coming on the show and sharing their stories for our listeners. Uh, so they've been great, and we, we're continuing to bring these um, extraordinary people to UCW Radio. Uh, also, sponsors that are looking to tie in with the UCW Radio Show, you can do so. Go to ucwmagazine.com and find out what we're doing. Find out a little bit more about how you can partner up with us. It is a great situation for any sponsor. Uh, in just a little while, we're going to have a great guest on the show. Uh, look, he's a great all-around guy, and his history is a rich one. From sitting with some of the legends of rock and roll to breaking bread with some of the leaders in American politics, this guy has done it all, and he's still going strong. He's a radio show host, one of the most sought-after public speakers on politics, not on a local level, on a national level. He's a fellow Met fan, so he knows about overcoming adversity. God knows I do. Now, before we bring him on the line, I have to give you some information that our listeners uh, would find useful. They can actually call in with their question and comments. Uh, if we're live, then you're live. If not, you can leave your questions and comments. And if there is, if it's interesting enough, we'll put it on the show. The number is 323-952-4369. That's 323-952-4369. So um, call us and leave your questions or comments. Just make it interesting, please. Don't make it, uh, don't make it not interesting because we really want you to be a part of the show. Uh, and again, I mentioned the sponsorship partnerships. Marketers can find out more by going to ucwmagazine.com. And if you're on Twitter, then shoot me out some questions or comments while we have the show going on. If you go to... Um, ucwmagazine.com you'll see what guests we have on, on on a particular day and you can actually leave uh you can tweet me with a question for them and again if it's interesting enough we will uh bring it to the attention of our guest and now oh i need to give you my twitter name that that'd be nice wouldn't it <laughs> it's uh lewis velasquez that's l o u i s V-E-L-A-Z-Q-U-E-Z. You can follow me and ask away. Now, without further ado, let's patch in a fixture on the Fox News strategy room and the voice of 970 AM's The Grinder Show. Here is the one and only David Webb. David, thank you so much for being with us today on the UCW Radio Show. It's a great pleasure having you here. Well, Lewis, I really appreciate it, and thank you. 
Uh, no, thank you. Uh, we always appreciate the time our guests put aside because I know you're a busy guy. You have a lot of things going on, and I do appreciate you taking this time today. I know today you have a, a whole roster of things to do, and you're talking to little old me, so <laughs> it's appreciated. Um, David, you have a rich history, and there's really no way in the world unless we stood on the phone for about 12 hours to me to go over everything. I can't. Okay, you accomplished a lot in your life. Uh, let me just give a brief overview for our listeners before we get into it. Uh, you're the host of the radio show, The Grinder, which airs on, um, what what is it, 970 AM? AM 970 in New York City. Okay, New York City, that's from 11 to 12. That's on every Sunday. Uh, you've been featured on several major network shows uh, to give you a take on everything from finance to politics and, and everything else, the whole gambit. Uh, you're a contributing editor to um, FamilySecurityMatters.org. Uh, you also fill in on, on, on Sirius Satellite Radio, so I'm probably missing one or maybe a hundred things, but you know, <laughs> the, 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 these are the broad strokes. Um, so now let, let's get into your amazing journey because I think your story is amazing. Uh, to this point, your life, your career, everything. Can you tell us how you got your start in radio? Because I find that to be a very interesting story. You know, I, I, I've taken that question a few times, and I hate to disappoint a little bit, but it was an accident. I was fortunate enough to go to a college with, a, with an FM radio station. I went to Holy Cross in Worcester, Massachusetts. So like any other college kid, you played around, you loved the music. Boston was a great music town and everything around it in Worcester. And by accident, I met the guys at WAAF, and one thing led to another by junior year. In college, I was playing around in professional radio. And then it went from there. It absolutely did. That's been a, it's been a fun, exciting journey across the country, and it gives you a really good look at different kinds of uh, people and situations. Well, that, that's why I find your story interesting, because it's not something that you went to school for. You didn't say, okay, well, I'm going to go be a radio host, and this is what I want to do. You weren't dreaming about this when you were a kid. This is something that's fell into your lap, and I think some of the most amazing journeys is when something just happens, because it's supposed to happen. You don't know it, but it's something that's supposed to happen, because now you're reaching you know, millions of people all, all over the world uh, and spreading your word, which I think is great. Um, and beyond radio, you went down the path to print media as well, right? Yes, I did. When I was in college, I, uh, I was very fortunate. And I met some good people, and I did a little bit of time as an intern originally for what was then called Worcester Magazine. And I didn't know it at the time. You know, you're you're in college again. Mm -hmm. It's an internship. But uh, the classifieds manager left, and I became the manager. I was offered the position and then took on other editorial duties. So that was my first uh, print media experience and then I had the good fortune to work for some great uh, papers along the way as a consultant as a writer like Worcester Telegram and Gazette which is the second largest in New England uh, right behind the Boston Globe. Uh, that's really interesting. I like to go back to the radio for a second because uh, what we were talking about earlier me and you, you, you were the, um, the radio host for a rock station. Uh, yes, I was. Yeah, can you get into that? Because, I mean, is, to me, where you are right now, no one would think, hey, you know what, uh, David Webb, he, he was hosting the uh, Iraq uh, station uh, way back when. I, I find that intriguing. 
it was a lot of fun, and it comes down to music. I grew up around an entertainment uh, group, you know, people that I knew in both the music industry, the acting industry, uh, good background from my family also, and I like all kinds of music. I mean, people used to look at what was in my car when I'd have the CDs in there, and there'd be everything from classical music with Mazorsky to ELP to James Brown to Michael Jackson whatever it was, or some of the other greats from the 80s, like Pat Benatar and Madonna and Billy Squire. So I, I really enjoyed music, and I found I could go on and talk about it because I had another perspective that I knew a lot of the artists. Mm-hmm. And that gave I knew the artists, I knew the crews, I was fortunate enough to work with a few of them, to tour with a few of them occasionally, and that really gave me just a different take than a guy that went on and said, hey, next coming up, and song A or B, I could kind of interject some real life into it. And that worked for the listener, and that's when I learned from a couple of guys who were a lot smarter than me and had been at it a little bit longer that if that listener really wanted to bond with you and your story and listen in, that was the secret. And, and that's and that is so true because it's a lot better for actually it's a lot a lot easier for a listener to, um, I guess, connect with you if they know that you're real and you're not just plugging a, a, a new song or a video, whatever the case may be, that you're actually saying something that you know something about it that you lived. So it becomes a real-life situation for them. Yeah, you know, the, the bottom line, I think, for me, is whether it's talk radio, whether I'm doing a TV spot, whatever it is, people kind of know whether you're being real with them or not. There's that visceral reaction. It's that I trust you feeling right. or I believe you. And don't get me wrong. I, I was in radio in the eight, in the late 80s when it was, I mean, you talk about a time to be in radio. Mm-hmm. Record reps were taking care of you. Life was good. Uh, the industry sent, you know, we got shipped to the Grammys to broadcast from there no matter what. We'd always go to the concerts. I probably went to two, three concerts a week just to show up with the with the remote unit and say, here we are with the listeners. And that was a great time. But the whole secret behind that was people felt like they could touch you. Because in, mm-hmm. in radio, you went out and saw them. You went out and you, know, you shook hands. You had a beer. You, you met their people. You got to know people when their kids were born. Mm-hmm. They'd call a station. Hey, man, what's going on? Is your your number one fan here? Yeah, I love the show. Dude, my daughter was just born. And that's so cool. And then you talk to them, and yeah. then you play a song for them. Yep. And that's a very real feeling because that's that's why radio touches people. And maybe maybe I am getting a little bit personal here, but that those are the kind of things you remember. Yeah, the artist interviews are great. There are a lot mm-hmm. of great people to talk to. I love their stories. But it's when that guy calls me, as somebody did a couple of years ago, go, I heard you love baseball, and this is your favorite team. I'm a Mets fan. He said, well, I got a collection of cards, and I got about these five or six cards I'd love to just give to you for playing a song for me. Well, that, that's and I awesome. left the station and went and met them, and I still have them. They're not expensive cards. They're nice. They had to be, happened to be a couple of my favorite players, Cleon Jones from back in the day, mm-hmm. Rusty Staub. But it meant something that the listener took that time. I mean, that that's a connection. See, you're, you're able to, and in radio... Uh, you're able to actually touch people a lot more than with television, I think, because if you have somebody listening to you and, and if they know where you're coming from, yeah, you know, you're going to touch them. And I think what you, you've done 
is you've mastered what you're doing because you're a real person. That's why I love doing these these interviews, having these shows, because it allows me, it gives me the honor and the opportunity to allow you to tell your story. Because this is something that normally people won't have the opportunity to find out about you or, or hear. And I think that's amazing. And, and I'm a Met fan too, so uh, yeah, we're both crying. So <laughs> that's the way things <laughs> yeah, go. It's been, a, it's been a couple of rough months. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, like well, that was like 2000, 2003 all over again. So anyway, <laughs> next topic. Yeah, we, we don't, we don't need to go there. This is supposed to be a little bit on the lighter side, right? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not looking to get into that, and uh, it's football season, so there we go. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have one other point that I think is important, and this is a little bit of a personal story. Short version is I've had the good fortune to work in the top ten markets. And, you know, really work at some great radio stations. But it was a guy that wouldn't hire me that taught me something really important. Because, look, I got a little full of myself in the late 80s. I was on top. I, I could do, you know, go out. A cop pulled you over. little said, oh, man, I look. Go on. Get out of here. And then there was this guy, Roy Robertson. And he owned a few radio stations. And I went and interviewed with him after I left Z100 in New York. Mm-hmm. And he said, David, he goes, you're great, you'd win. He goes, but I'm not going to hire you, and here's why. And Roy said, the bottom line is, you're a brain surgeon who can't take a pulse. Hmm. I kind of looked at him. I I didn't know what to think. I wasn't appalled, but I was kind of confused, maybe a little bemused. And he said, you you can win, you can get on the air, you've got great marketing skills, because I've done that position also. He goes, you can do all these things. He goes, but you got to go back and learn the nuts and bolts from the board up like you used to do in the day when the engineer would teach you, this is the board, these are the buttons. Mm-hmm. He goes, learn the business. You may have some ups and downs, but you'll last a lifetime in it. And that was some of the best advice I ever had. I love that. I love that because it it's just it, – it takes you from being on a pedestal to coming back down to reality and again it makes you a real person this is why this is why people connect with you david because uh, they know that you're real you're not uh, on mount olympus and looking down on everybody you're right here with everyone else i tell you that goes away real fast after you get a couple of real stories from people especially in talk radio mm-hmm. you, you, you find that hold it i need to listen to them and that's another lesson for anybody who's going into radio and thinking about talk radio. It was the guy that syndicated me the first time who said, I'm going to tell you what the first thing you need to do is listen. That was it. One word. Mm-hmm. Listen to the caller. Yeah, well, I, I can understand that a million, zillion percent, because if you're not listening, what are you doing? You're just being robotic. Yeah, and that's where you get diatribe. And, you know, look, there are a lot of great guys I know in talk radio. And it, my thing is, I believe in discourse, not diatribe. Mm-hmm. I've got my point of view. Mm-hmm. I've got some strong points of view. And I'm going to let you know what they are. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to have a conversation with you. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not the type of host that jumps down and says, I'm going to tell you what's right or what's wrong. If you're not this, you're not this. Hey, there's too many shades of gray in life. Mm-hmm. Well, you're 100% correct on that. Um, but it's good. You, everyone has their opinion, but you have to uh, respect that you have an opinion, so does someone else. And just like we're doing right here today, you know, uh, yeah, I have opinions on stuff. But I'm not going to bring my, my opinions up too much. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, but that's that's the beauty of it. I mean, 
whether it's a political discussion, a financial, a business, or whatever, if you don't listen to the other side, if you if you stop yelling at the TV for five seconds, which I used to be known for, it's like, what the hell you think? Or, or at the Mets. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> listen, listen to what they're saying. You might understand another point of view. And it, to me, that's kind of half the, not maybe not the fun of it, but half the experience. And then that, and that's true because it is an experience when you're on the phone with someone, or you you have someone in your studio, you're you're having conducting an interview, you have them on the show. Where is it going to go? You know, you don't know. As long as you get your point across, and we had talked about that, as long as you get your point across, uh, then you're doing your job. But you're also making it interesting listening, as opposed to being a robotic chop 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 type of situation and that's what people uh, kind of gravitate to and again and I keep going back to you but this is why you have such a vast audience and you're uh, considered the upper echelon in, in, um, in the radio world which is fantastic well I, I thank you for that compliment that's, uh, I think you're the first guy ever to call me upper echelon Ah, well, I'm not going to be, I shouldn't be the first, well, actually, if I am the first, then good for me, but uh, I shouldn't be the last either, because, you know, you paid your dues, you went through the game, you did everything you needed to do, and uh, you you honed your skills, and that's why you are where you are, and I'm not going to minimize that, I'm not going to sit and, and say, well, well, David Webb, you know, you did good, but, no, there's no but, you, you are who you are, you know, there's no reason for me to minimize it. So I put you on that pedestal. You don't have to do it. I do it. I know you're a humble guy. Um, but, David, I want to just step aside from radio for a second because you are you have a lot of stuff going on with you. And you're, I, I know you're also involved in some creative marketing. Uh, that That's something that you do. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, that really stems from, I mean, I, I hate to repeat the word, my need to create. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the things I studied in college, you know, you learn a lot in the books, but I started out building nightclubs, uh, designing the interiors, the lighting systems, the video. Part of it was I started because it was a lot of fun, and when you're that young and somebody says, hey, come on in and help us build this, and you can throw a party every night, it's great. But that, that let loose some of my need to create things and come up with ideas and Part of what I was fortunate with was my parents gave me a really good business background. They, they taught me to pay attention to the business in life, treat your, your personal finance like a business and all of that. Mm -hmm. But they also said, expand and do what you want. And I like being creative. It's one of the things I do. So after I learned all the, the elements that needed to do it and I took the classes and I, I read the magazines, I went to seminars because I love to learn. Then I went out and I just kind of let my brain loose. Mm -hmm. And I started working with nightclubs. I went to companies. Uh, I, you know, in radio stations, I did the same thing where I helped rebuild some stations and I've had some great success uh, by taking stations to the top of their levels. And that's the, the real satisfaction is when I look back in radio or in a company or in a product. And it's been a success. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's neat to put it all together. It's great to launch it. But when you look at it down the road and it's going great and you say, all right, I got that one. You know, and that doesn't mean you get everything right, but you got enough right to make it a success. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right on that. You know, and you know, it's funny that, you know, your, you, your career, your life has been what it is. But it's great when you can work on a project and see it from beginning to end. 
and be able to sit back and say, wow, look at what I did as far as that project. But you'll never do that with your whole career, your whole life. Um, and, and that's interesting. That's why, I mean, again, ha having these uh, shows allows the story to get out because a lot of our guests, they're humble. And they don't, they don't toot their own horn just like you. You don't toot your own horn. I'm, I'm forcing you to toot your horn today. Because uh, and you know, I, I people ask me to write things, and I'm, I'm redoing my my personal website right now. For instance, mm -hmm. I don't like writing about myself. It's not from some false, uh, humble, or I'm not that self-deprecating, or whatever the case may be. It's that it's telling my own story, and I'm not good at that. Mm -hmm. But I'm good at helping other people tell theirs, and that's probably the skill I've honed when it comes to this creative side, or working for something or building something with a team and you and I talked before we started the interview about the team concept my current radio show the grinder I have a great producer this guy's never been in radio but he knows the financial end the business end and when we started working together he picked right up and dove in and then that just showed me that John is going to be the guy and when I looked at him I said you're going to be the producer of the show that wasn't something he had in mind. I saw in him what somebody, some point, saw in me and said, "Let me give you a few hints. Try this and see if you like it." Mm -hmm. You know, but that team, the the people behind you, my business partners, my producer, no matter where it is or where I go or the things I do on Fox when I'm in the strategy room, for instance, which I love doing, mm -hmm. they've got a team. They know each other, and when you get to know them, you become part of their team. Right. It's a very comfortable way to live. And it's a great showing because there's no tension, there's no stress, the nervousness is kind of out of it. So you're actually having a great conversation, and that comes off on television. Same way it does on radio, but more so on TV because now people are seeing you physically. Yeah, absolutely. And believe me, you do take it into the studio. You wake up that morning and oh, man, I didn't get this done, My, oh, I didn't get to the gym, whatever it is. <laughs> you have a fight with your girlfriend or your wife, and you take it into the studio, but then you learn the little tricks that become a part of the reality. You go and you say, you know, did, did you ever have a problem? Did you have an argument with a loved one? And you start relating it, and you realize that everybody within their circumstance has similar stories. Sure, sure. People and that, people. that Exactly, exactly. The elements are... the. The details are different. I think the elements are pretty much the same. Yeah. But you, you know what's funny, and I just keep going back to some other guests that we had on. You know, when I had uh, Mr. Universe Doug Burns on yesterday, uh, he went through a lot of stuff, type 1 diabetes. He, he fought the battle, became a top bodybuilder in 2006, won the Mr. Universe crown. He never once cried about his situation. It was it was something in a way, but he, he, he relates that to someone having financial situations. It's just another obstacle in your life, and everyone has it, and that's how we put it, and I thought that was amazing that he's not, you know, he didn't put him, he didn't sit in a corner and cry about it, and everybody has problems, and that was his point. Everybody has problems. You just have to, you know, get through it, and people can relate to each other, uh, you know, through that, and I just thought that was interesting. I just figured I'd bring that up. Um, but he's, he's absolutely right, though, because, again, anybody who said they've never felt bad after a breakup with a boyfriend or girlfriend, or they've never felt great after making a good catch or pitching or, or heck, you know, whatever it is, 
you know, tossing that perfect ball or whatever you do that you get that moment when you're like, oh yeah, that's nice. Right. That one was good. Yeah, that's you, reality. That that that's that's what that's reality across the board. Uh, you put it. I mean, that that word is uh, it's, it's, it should be you know in big lights reality because that that's life and life is life. You have to go through it and that's it. Uh, David, I want to ask you something. I, I'm, we're going to go into a realm, and I'm, I'm my opinions on this aren't going to be so you know so high because I don't want to get the. Uh, I don't want I don't want you to make me look ridiculous because I may sit here and cry and I don't want to do that. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, that would be real too, but we don't want you to do that. Yeah, we don't we don't want to do that. But we're gonna we're gonna get into some politics. Uh, and again, I'm not gonna talk about my views, um, but I'm sure that you know we share some of the same views. But you've been active in the political arena from sitting with high-ranking members in politics, especially in New York. Can you tell us what you've done in the in the political arena over the past, let's say, um, you know, decade? Uh, well, I, I mean, it's, I know it's hard for you to, to, to go, but you can give highlights. I, I know that's a long time uh, span to go over, and I'm curious on what your views are on the current state of the U.S. government. Well, uh, as a just take us take out the political pundit consultant out of it for a moment. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned about the way our government is behaving, regardless of party. We've got a Wall Street and Washington complex. You know, we were worried out of the Eisenhower generation in presidency that we'd have a military-industrial complex governing the direction of the nation. Well, we've become a Wall Street-Washington complex where financial controls the money that goes through Washington. And then our our elected leaders aren't going to uh, Washington the way Mr. Smith went to Washington mm -hmm. to serve, to do his best, and then to leave. Now it's become a lifetime pursuit of staying in position and playing the game that way, pandering to the customer, a.k.a. the voter, mm -hmm. when you need them just to get back into office. And that really concerns me because while there are a lot of good people that are in Washington, that work in these bureaucratic organizations, in the bureaus. I've worked with some very good ones at the uh, Bureau of the Census in my little stint within the federal entities, that most of the culture is wrong right now. And I think Americans are becoming more aware as we see what's going on in the last year or so. They're really starting to challenge the structure. And We've got to get a little bit more out of this and hold people accountable so that they remember you did go to Washington, Mr. Smith, and your job is to represent your district, your state, or if you're the president, the nation as a whole, not the special interests. Right, and I agree with you on that. And maybe I am going to say something, but you are right. You know, at one point in time, the United States was a major manufacturing industry. Okay, for, for lack of a better phrase, but we had our industrial revolution. We're building, creating jobs and building. We went from that to being a servicing country. And now in doing that with the financial institutions, you know, living high in the hog and money being the driving force because we are in a capitalist nation, that probably created some more ripples going along, which allowed, you know, politicians to stay in office a little longer and, you know, and then you have the, the the advertising part of it as well, 
where if you have somebody good and that's qualified that wants to do the right thing, how can they combat going against a, a multi-million dollar advertising campaign for someone that maybe doesn't have the best interests of the people in mind? Again, this is regardless of party, Republican or Democrat or liberal or whatever it is. It's the, the money factor. Again, that, that's just the way I see it. I, you know, but uh, you have a different opinion, maybe. I don't know. Well, actually, I I share your opinion because you right, hit good. the nail on the head good. Good. when you talk about. <laughs> good. Our, 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 <laughs> I'm wiping my forehead right now. Good. Oh my god. <laughs> no, you know, come on, think about how many how many of our of our congressmen or senators are millionaires or multimillionaires many times over. Mm -hmm. Our governors. You know, you've got uh, John Corzine in New Jersey, a man who left Goldman Sachs with hundreds of millions, mm -hmm. and he spent almost $100 million to go take a dollar a year salary. Why does he do this? Mm -hmm. It wasn't out of service to the, to the state of New Jersey. It was because he went from senator and he wanted something else because he and I had an idea that I'll run for president. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. If you're wealthy and you want to serve the nation, and you have the ability to do that and win that and go in and fight for that, then I want you to do that. Mm -hmm. But I want it to be open for the person who who has the, the brain power, the ideals, the drive that says, hold it, I want to run for office because I think I can represent you. Mm -hmm. And that's gone now because the party's now treated like a marketing campaign, keyword that you used. Mm, yes. In that, wow, this guy looks good, this lady looks good. And we can put them up there and put the right color tie in that blue or gray suit, that pinstripe or plain, and we can sell them. And you know what's funny is that you know every office, uh, whether it be the Senate or the the, the, gov the, the governor's office in any state, and especially the, uh, the the office of President of the United States, you know, even though you have people in place, is still considered an institution where you have someone in place, but it is just an institution. And people go in place, and that's why it changes over. And yeah, if you do, you know, paint everything up nice, and you put a couple of coats of paint on someone, and fix their hair, and put them on there, and have them say the right words, you know, people may follow it, and they may believe it. And you put enough money behind it, marketing-wise, yeah, they may get in office. But again, it doesn't mean that that's necessarily the best thing for this, the, the city, the state, or the uh, the, the the whole United States. Right, and, and it's not good for the institution. I use the example of people that have been in Washington on both sides of the aisle for 30 years plus. Mm -hmm. When you've got Robert Byrd from West Virginia, who can't stay awake, who doesn't even go to the floor, why is this man in office? Or you've got a Ted Stevens, just to be fair and you know balanced, in Alaska, who was there for 36 plus years until he got in enough questionable trouble even though he was, you know, cleared on the charges. But the fact is, why was he there that long? So the institution and the institutionalization of the office becomes more important than doing the right thing. And rather, I mean, mm -hmm. the institution loses its value. You're a senator. The mm -hmm. Senate seat is the institution. Yep. The presidency is about the office. Right. I feel very strongly about that. But we now have a pop culture mentality with regards to not only this president, mm -hmm. but to other presidents where it's the politics of personality and the politics of personal destruction over the institution and the office of the president. The president of the United States, I mean, come on, that's something to aspire to. Yeah. 
Sure. That's to go in that office and say, I was the president of the United States when you leave office, and I did my best. And you want to invoke But now change. it's how many... Yeah, now it's hun how, how much am I going to make off the book? Am I going to build the biggest library? Yes, we should have presidential libraries, but that shouldn't be the focus. That should be a reflection of what you did, mm -hmm. not a fundraiser to afford to move your agenda forward. If you go back in time, um, going way back, you look at Abraham Lincoln. That was a great president, and it wasn't. Yep, it wasn't about ca the log cabin. Yep. I mean, this guy. But those times, granted, were simpler, mm -hmm. and the world was simpler it was smaller because it was focused here mm -hmm. and I, I don't envy these guys by any means and i don't want to detract from any of them even with their flaws and they have good sides and they mm -hmm. do good things uh ted kennedy who i disagree with on ideological lines was also co-author and has his name on some really good things for the united states right where he came from but where we ended up were with some good things mm -hmm. that's an example to me of a legislator, mm -hmm. but I would not have kept Ted Kennedy in the Senate for 46 years. It came down to name recognition, and uh, that's it. You know, it doesn't mean that he didn't do some great things because he did. And, yeah, I, I believe in term limits. I right. believe that a senator should have two terms, 12 years, and I believe that congressmen should have an equal amount of terms, six terms, and because we have a difference in when they go in and out of office. That's enough for continuance, because you don't go into D.C. and learn everything in three months. Mm -hmm. It takes time to build up. It sure. takes, takes time to build your staff. The staffers really are the experts in D.C. Mm -hmm. So you can do things for your district or your state. Mm -hmm. But I think after a time, we need to keep the cycle going. We need fresh yeah. blood in there. And I think that will keep our politicians more honest rather than can I go here and when I leave it'll be feet first out the Senate door. Well, you know, the lobbyists, it's not in their best interest for someone to come to, to, to the Senate or Congress and, and stay there for their for their set term and walk away because for them it's a building process with them building a relationship with a particular uh, person in office. So that, that's... Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. They Look, they invest a lot of money. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm going to try to describe this story on the air it's, it's a little bit better visual but kt mcfarland who worked for three presidents uh told me this story and i've seen it myself but she said you know i went to washington and when i after she ran for senate against hillary and people were saying well would you run for another office and i said well here's what you do you take your business cards and you put them in your left jacket pocket when you go up to someone, you shake their hand with your right hand, and you take the card out of your pocket, cross over your hand, and hand it to them. Mm -hmm. And if you think about that concept, basically you're saying to somebody, Hi, really nice to meet you. I'm KT McFarland, while your other hand is pulling out a card for the exchange. Mm -hmm. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that is it's about what can I do for you to get you a fundraiser to get you in office because mm -hmm. then I expect return on my investment. Right. No, I, I, I see that point. That's a good way of, uh, of putting it. It's like, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm going to do for you, but what are you going to do for me? Right. And that goes to your point about yeah. the lobbyists. And look, if, if you're working on sound policy, and I know it's, it's, not a, it's a pie in the sky kind of approach to it, but it does happen. 
and I think in the real world it can. When you're working from a policy point of view, if that lobbyist is lobbying and they have a right, they should be there. Uh, they do need some controls. But if they're lobbying for good policy in that district or solid policy across the nation, whatever the case may be, then you should be able to lobby that new congressman or senator. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't happen anymore. You're right. They invest in them. They right. get them in place. They get some of these guys there, and they serve no purpose but for that interest. And, and everything else they do is ancillary. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's a sad part of uh, the government, the way it's structured. And there has to be some sort of change for the better of the people. And now, is that change going to happen? I don't know. Um, but all I do know is that if you are uh, someone good in office and you're trying to do good things and you have lobbyists that want you to go another route, it's really hard for you to battle and keep fighting forward because at some point in time, you're going to hit blockade upon blockade upon blockade when you're trying to move forward. And to the, in the eyes of the people, it is going to look like you're not doing your job. And it's, you know, I don't know. It's just a, a very odd situation. Well, it is. And, and as I referred to the Wall Street Washington complex earlier, you know, money has become the game. But it's it's not the it's not the money's important in Washington, D.C. It's the influence peddling. Mm hmm. That is that is as big, if not bigger, a problem in Washington D.C. and frankly in the state houses and in the major cities. Because even in the small towns, in small towns you're held accountable. Because if you're a mayor, you live with these people; mm -hmm. they see you every day. And believe me, my mayor knows if he's walking down the street and he did something wrong, or now she did something wrong, somebody's going to walk and go, "What were you thinking, Nancy?" Yeah. And but these guys in Washington live inside the Beltway, and that Beltway is like a it's like a force field from the nation. And the only thing that gets through there are special interests. And when you need to pander to your district to get reelected, you start looking for what you need to do and what you need to say. Mm -hmm. And that, unfortunately, is a majority of what goes on in Washington. And that's the disconnect, because you have a lot of politicians that live in an ivory tower with a moat around it that's separated from the people. And how are you going to serve the people if you're not with the people? Well, you know, but let me offer a little bit of hope here. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we, we talk about a lot of the issues and problems. Right now in America, something's happening. Awareness. Mm -hmm. uh, my organization, the Tea Party organization in New York, I took a very direct approach when Kellen Guida and I founded it and Tom Basili, our other director, when I said we're going to become a 501c4 nonpartisan, not-for-profit policy group. Because my goal is to raise awareness amongst all Americans, Democrat, liberal, libertarian, conservative, Republican, whatever you may be. And the response has been phenomenal, that people are saying, hey, hold it. This policy doesn't work. I have a family. I have a small business. I have a big business. I work on Wall Street, whatever it is. And I think Americans are becoming more aware, and I think we're hitting another period when challenging our leadership in a healthy way is happening, and we see it going on all around the country. And yes, there are fringe elements. There's always going to be somebody with over-the-top hyperbole and the name call, and they're on both sides. It is clearly more, I guess if you want to call it, dirty on the left. Mm -hmm. And I think, that is, I think that's obvious to anybody who's fair-minded. Mm -hmm. 
but the fringe elements are starting to get pushed aside by the louder voices and the calmer, louder voices of the average American. We're not saying I'm a Democrat, I'm a Republican, but <laughs> I'm an American. What are you doing to me? That's that's the key thing. I'm glad you said that because I mean, look, we have been a nation in, in, in turmoil for some time. Even though the media is saying, well, we, it's only been one solid year this week that we've had this uh, financial meltdown, but it's something that's been building for a long time. People have been crying about it for years. Okay, that the uh, the mortgage meltdown that this is just imminent, and everybody chose to ignore it. Uh, financial institutions that you know they got forced out of business. So, though I think that they should should not have been uh, thrown out of business. Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, companies like that. Um, with, with all that said, I'm curious to to you your view on this on that situation. And what do you think that the right path would be to stabilizing as we move forward as a nation? Well, we, we missed the boat on a number of things. Uh, and some of it, let's, let's start with the SEC, mm -hmm. and we'll move on to the others. That's the SEC is an agency that, not, not in any way to ignore the failures of the SEC, but an underfunded, undermanned agency with $60,000 lawyers taking on half-million-dollar lawyers with 50 people on their staff mm -hmm. representing a Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, and AIG, or any other corporation. So that's like putting, uh, you know, the Little League up against the Mets, okay? Well, that, <laughs> bad bad analogy, one. because right now, I don't know. <laughs> right now, I don't know about that one, but you know, I, I had to pick a team. All right, okay. but let's say the Yankees. The problem is... We started with some issues where the, the David Goliath syndrome existed. The laws were not being enforced that were on the books for various reasons. And then we had some changes in the 90s that led to this culture of basically inflating your value. We capped CEO salaries. So now everything was based on your stock and your perceived value and that leverage, which said instead of it at 10 to 1, we were valuing things at 20, 30, 40 to 1. Mm -hmm. This money didn't exist. It was all being transferred in bits and bytes between computers. Yep. It wasn't even on paper anymore like the old days with the ticker symbol. Yep. And and we ended up with a false bottom. We ended up, we, st we also had Fannie and Freddie and inflated. We were basically given ninja loans, no income, no job, no problem. We can give you a house, we can give you a condo, we can give you money to start a business, but we know you can't sustain it because in about two years it's going to run out on you or maybe you don't have a good business model or you, your job changes and you lose your house. And we basically created a system that was going to burst. We were blowing this bubble up. And no one cared. I mean, no one cared about stopping it because money was being made in the process from the mortgage brokers to the the uh, brokerage firms, which kept repackaging these mortgages and, and creating other uh, packages and reselling them and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, as you and I know, if you have one mortgage and it's repackaged five times within five different institutions, if that one mortgage mortgage defaults, so do all these other loans. So do, do yep. all these other notes. They default as well. And that is, that's what creates even a bigger problem. You know, in, in, my, in my new show, and uh, there, there's a very defined model for this show for the grinder. Mm -hmm. And our goal is to feature a lot of these emerging companies 
find the stocks of tomorrow. Find some of these smaller companies, and there are a lot of companies in the 100, 200, 300 million range mm-hmm. that have good, stable history that are growing, that are on the Nasdaq or maybe on the you know the over-the-counter bulletin board that are ready to emerge, ready to come out, because American capitalism and American ingenuity isn't dead. Matter of fact, I think it's more alive than ever because survival brings out the best, because a lot of people say, in order to do this, I better create something for myself. Not much different than I did. When I said, I've got to create a show for myself, and I'll Mm -hmm. go put it on, not just work for a company. I'm I'm one of those entrepreneurs. But I'm going to interject for one second, then I'll let you continue through it. Yeah, that spirit is not dead at all. It's just stifled by the media. I just want to say that. Yeah, no, and I agree. And right now, these these companies that are out there in this American ideal will come back on all levels, small, larger corporations, because they're forced to tighten their belts. They're forced to operate. We should regulate. We should enforce regulations. We should make sure people do things right. And we should make that make sure that those few, those several out there that are predatory in the way they handle their business, whether it's the sale of auction rate securities, mm-hmm. uh, which you're basically selling off, or these remortgaging, you know, second, third, I mean, balloon mortgages, things that they were doing that were just wrong to people who couldn't afford them for the sake of making quick buck. Yeah, and the scary thing is that no one in office could explain or understand what a, a particular note was based on. <laughs> well, you know, I don't think they cared to. I, no. I do think there's a few that could. But everybody was in it for the for the profit. Mm-hmm. Okay, we have a government run business essentially in Freddie and Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae. But the guys that were in charge, the Barney Frank, Rahm Emanuel, others that have been through these boards and these organizations and were responsible for oversight, didn't care. They pushed their ideological agenda mm-hmm. over everything. And they took millions, and then they vilified Wall Street while they were doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So Wall Street and Washington, again, back to that complex, they're thinking the same way. And who who didn't benefit from this? Yeah. Well, if you didn't have the the resources, and you shouldn't have been the person who bought that house because you couldn't afford it. You were in a field that was not that did not have much of a future. You were in a job that wasn't going to grow to meet that balloon payment. Mm-hmm. Did they really do you a service? Uh, it's more of a disservice. And, and even with people that had their homes, you had some people that had their homes, probably their mortgage was down, and they were they were mesmerized by the, the fact that, oh, I can refinance and restructure the mortgage and get a new mortgage, get money in my pocket, I can put on an extension and do all this other stuff. But, you know, as, as Rick Santelli said, you know, Right now, do you want to be the guy that's that's paying your neighbor's mortgage? And that's what exactly. we, we, we become a nation that we're paying the mortgage for the guy next door that went into something bad, but who guided him down that road? Right. And, and in the end, I, I've said this, and I know it's not a popular position with some people, but everything that I do, I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. Accountability and responsibility. And if I don't have the requisite knowledge to do something. I may have a friend who knows it. I may 
have the ability to pay a few bucks to an attorney or an expert in that area to to guide me. Mm -hmm. Those are things we're responsible for doing because in the end, nobody put a gun to my head and said, sign on the dotted line, you're taking this deal. True. And that's not disallowing for the predatory lenders, the people who flat out lied. They do exist. There always will be those. But they don't represent the majority of what happened. Right. They represent a dangerous minority Mm -hmm. because they were preying on people, but common sense has to come into this. I'm not I'm not a I'm not a guy who spent years studying Wall Street and I'm doing a business talk show. Mm-hmm. But I'm a guy who like many Americans paid attention, learned the basics, and then interjected that key thing, common sense. When I when I look at companies and I, I look at their product, I can anybody can go on the web, pull up their financials, see how their stock's been doing if they're public. You can Google, see how they've been if they're private. Just look at them and go, if something doesn't make sense, I need to look further. Mm-hmm. If if WAMU grows to become the, become the nation's largest private mortgage broker in a couple of years, and then one day you read in the Dallas Morning News like I did that, wow, they just sold off the mortgage division. Okay, I'm not going to get involved with WAMU at this point. This is going to go bad. Yeah. Because if they're dumping it, something's wrong. Well, you know, this was 2001. That is a key thing because people have to do their due diligence. They have to research companies. They have to make sure that this is a sound investment. And but now they stay watch TV. They get the tips, everything else. Oh, we're in it, and they're trying to be day traders. You know, a day trading is not for everybody. It, that that that's a unique and specialized uh, segment of the uh, financial industry, and you just can't step up and do that because you can wind up broke. But you have to look at the signs, as you just said. You have to read. Do your research, do your homework, and go out there and find out what's happening here, there, this, that. Look at the Qs, look at the Ks, uh, look at the information, because that's the only thing that's going to get you, uh, that's going to protect you. Anyway, that's what well, that's how I see it. No, you're absolutely right. And again, common sense. I, I interviewed a company this past week. They're a NASDAQ company. I had them on the grinder, and I talked to the CEO. And the first thing, and one of the things I brought up to I looked at his product. Mm-hmm. He's got a good track record, a couple of years on the NASDAQ. And I looked at his product, and then I started talking to him about the common sense behind his product. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, that's been the secret to our success. We have something that people want, that they will use, that can continue to expand. And is, is it the newest laptop? Is it the fastest car? Is it... Whatever. Is it some great technological move? No, it's the cover for your electronics. Hmm. And with 1.7 plus billion phones in the U.S. alone sold, exchanged, or whatever every year or in the last year, people are going to buy these things. Sure. Sure. This guy's not trying to fly to the moon. He built something out of something very basic that everyday guys need. Everyday women, too, so I don't want to be sexist here. Yeah, no, Somebody we, will call you on that. Yeah, we, we don't want any of that stuff. But it's, it, you know, <laughs> it goes back to the person that created the widget or the paperclip. So a basic necessity that it, uh, someone said, okay, wow, this makes sense, and can it reach the masses? Is it going to be a help to uh, business or society as a whole uh, or this country? Is it going to be beneficial? And can is it simple enough that people can understand? And that company, and you can mention the company, I, you know, that's no problem, you're plugging it. Well, it was, it was Zag Industries. Yeah. And look, I'm getting some of these 
I'm lucky he's sending me some of these. They they have a shield that covers your cell phone, your laptop, your your PSP, your mm-hmm. Xbox, whatever has a screen and is electronic. Very simple thing. Come on, how many of us drop, put down, get something on the phone or whatever? Mm-hmm. But Again, that's something that's everybody can use. And, and Zag is a good company. That's simple enough. Because that's they've shown that they could make something you can use, and they're going to keep making it well, and they can expand. Now, that didn't require me going on a website and tracking their stock. I went, hmm, this makes sense to me. And so, so common sense should always be your first starting point, in my opinion. Well, I, I hope that a lot of our listeners are are hearing you because, yeah, it does. it, it is common sense to, to look at what they're making. If you have a company and you don't understand what they're doing and you're not willing to do the research, well, chances are you really shouldn't be in the stock. Yeah. Look, look around your house. Look around your office. Look what's there. There's a company that makes everything that exists around you is made by somebody, including the building you're in, yeah. the paint on the wall. Just just use your everyday common sense, your God-given common sense. Right. I don't care if it's beer, liquor, wine. It can be clothing. It can be whatever. You know, If you understand it, then you can relate to the company. If you can't relate to the company, if you don't know what what an iPod is, you don't know what, what the Microsoft Windows is, you shouldn't be buying the stock because you think that, oh, okay, it's a good company. I'm going to buy into it. But understand what you're getting involved with on a big level, on a small level as well. And I'm glad you brought that point up. Uh, if you want to give the symbol for that stock, but you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, yeah, it's uh, well, I'll, I'll give the name of the product is the Invisible Shield, mm-hmm. and the company is Zag Z A T G, and that's also their symbol on uh, on the Nasdaq. They're traded on the Nasdaq, and again, there. By the way, there's something that was developed in military and has become a consumer product. Another great area about America is that so many things come out of military development and then go to the consumer sector. The Invisible Shield was developed for the leading edge of helicopter blades to protect them. Mm-hmm. And now that same technology can protect your BlackBerry. I like to call it my Crackberry. Yeah, you tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. you know, I tell people my favorite feature of this phone is the auto-off, auto-on weekdays and weekends. There you go. Because if you're not with me after that time, or you, if you know me well enough, you can call my house phone. But that phone's going off. Yeah, <laughs> That's it, man. Yeah, because it'll keep going off and off and keep going on and on and on. It'll keep ringing and everything. And, you know, it's good that you brought that point up about military, uh, I guess, uh, inventions of craftsmanship going into modern-day uh, modern life. You know, one example, and I'll point this out so people can relate to it a little better, is the Hummer. That's something that was it was made for the military, the body and everything else, and it became uh, one of the vehicles you see on the street every day. Even though they they, they sold off the company, uh, still it's something that came into our lives and became a, a household name. Well, and then look at the grandfather for the Hummer, the Jeep. Yep. Again, developed for military for the U.S. Army. Yep. And that's I mean, think things that come out. America exported something. To the world, mm-hmm. there were industrial revolutions in Europe and in others, other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. But our industrial revolution, our manufacturing principles that Henry Ford developed with mass manufacturing, mm-hmm. with you know the man, the line, yeah, the assembly, and line. all the other things we did and perfected that we exported in ter- in terms of ingenuity and creativity. 
We created clean coal technology. It irritates the heck out of me. I'll use that because I'll be nice. <laughs> that we don't use it here, but other countries do. Because they're, they're as you we, we uh, spoke about earlier, politics, 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 politics. That is, that would kill something in a heartbeat. Yeah, the president said, "What I'm going to do with my environmental." Uh, president Obama, I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. During the campaign, what I'm going to do with certain policies and will literally kill the coal industry. Hmm. And I've watched this happen in Pennsylvania and other areas where it's taken a beating. You can drive in Pennsylvania, and there's probably somebody listening right now who will see a billboard on 76 or one of the highways that says clean coal, let's use it or something like that. Right. It's an American invention. Well, I mean, do, do you think, just your opinion on this, do you think that uh, the job that President Obama is doing to date, do you think that he's, he's uh, even though he came in at a rough time and the pressure from the beginning, you know, was on him because they wanted him to have a quick fix for everything, like he was the, the guy that was going to come in and in a week fix everything, do you think that he is doing the best job he can do with the situation that was thrown in his lap? I think I'd actually almost have to split that into two. I think he's doing, and I, I don't mean this, again, I respect the president's office. I mm -hmm. didn't support him. I think he's the wrong man in there. Mm -hmm. I think he's doing the best he can do, but I think what he, the best refers to the lack of requisite experience that the president of the United States needs to have, not party, mm -hmm. the requisite experience. And when he surrounded himself with a team of people that, really aren't Washington ready, mm -hmm. capable. David Axelrod may run a great campaign, but in Washington, that gets kind of diminished by the old pros and the people that have been there for a long time. And I think what we have in Washington is we had a new team come in that doesn't quite know how to work with the old team. And while I may not agree with a lot of the leadership in, in the House and in the Senate, I think if we had, even as much as I don't like the thought of having three houses controlled by one party, but if there was some way they could work together, we might get something done, just as we do typically in the United States history when there is a checks and balance right. between the two parties. Right. And I think the failures of the administration have been kind of reflexive of a president who authored two books before he authored any legislation. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That, that, that is an interesting way of looking at things. Uh, I'll let you continue that thought because I really am interested in hearing everything that you have to say about that topic. Well, you know, I, again, this is not a personal thing. I'm a mm -hmm. policy person. I have my points of view. But... The success of the United States is more important. As you said earlier, the institution, the offices are important. Well, the institution is the United States. And a fundamental ideological shift in Washington, D.C., that's antithetical to the U.S. free market democratic system is dangerous. Mm -hmm. We have union paybacks. The SEIU and the union spent $400 million to put the president in office. Mm -hmm. They want payback, and we're seeing it. Cash for clunkers yeah. was a payback to drive sales and get a bunch of cars off the road because that affects the aftermarket 
part of the program. Right. There are a lot of things that are being done. Card check, which they're trying to push through, the, the so-called Employee Free Choice Act, is to grow the union membership, which is roughly at 7% of the population right now. Mm-hmm. And according to recent polls, at its lowest approval ever since, I believe, 1936, when the unions were you know, approved and loved by 70-plus percent of the people, mm-hmm. and now 48% of the people in the nation say, okay, we're okay with unions, 52 say, no way. So we're getting a lot of ideological payback. We have people who believe that government is the answer. I'm more of a Reaganite. Mm-hmm. If somebody says I'm from the government and I'm here to help, <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, because you, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I was just going to interject that when you about the unions, that you know a lot of people uh, right now. They, I mean, I'm looking at the unions. I think that they were created for a reason. I think something was lost in translation uh, through the the Hoffa years and and, and all that stuff. But in my opinion, General Motors, Ford, all these, these, uh, well, Ford is is surviving, but with Chrysler, all these automotive companies in the United States, they were crippled by the unions. Yeah, they were. And, And look, don't get me wrong. There were good, the unions, you're right, were created. They did it, you know, when there was child labor. Mm hmm just really bad practices and there's still a lot of good use for unions no representing the average joe the workers the manufacturers unions have a very good place but the leadership of the unions became more interested in power mm-hmm. and collecting and creating legacy costs that they couldn't support mm-hmm. once the membership went down mm-hmm. and once some other things like funding issues were being checked and money was being followed Suddenly, the leadership found themselves in trouble. Mm -hmm. So they went back and they had onerous contracts with GM and with other companies. And now we've got a complex of unions getting paid back by the government because they help put them there. Whether you're at the state level in New Jersey, Mm -hmm. which is a ridiculous example of how bad union involvement in government can be, to the White House. Mm Mm-hmm where they now sit on his advisory committees, where the president himself stood in front of ACORN and the SEIU and other groups and said, before I even get into the office of the presidency and I'm, you know, sworn in, you will be a part of shaping policy. Mm-hmm. And now the unions are not even being shy. No, the AFL-CIO is making its moves and publicly talking about the policies they want. And so this isn't conjecture or right-wing conspiracy or anti-Obama racism or whatever anybody wants to call it. It's simply fact. Yeah, it it is fact. And another thing which I find interesting with the unions that are there to help the average Joe and, you know, maintain policy and so on and so forth within, you know, the union itself, but they are also going, they're taking their, their, their massive coffers of, of pension funds, and they're buying into uh, these auto companies. I mean, yeah, I, I think that's a conflict of interest. You're buying into that. Your guys are working there. You know, really, are you going to own the company? I mean, what's going to happen there? Yeah, well, essentially what's going to happen is the unions have been paid off to try and take control and sustain those legacy costs. They didn't give up much, if anything, at all. And here's an interesting point. I I caught it this morning. I haven't had a chance to really read the story in its entirety. 
but out of the cash for clunkers program and the last the end of summer reports GM and Chrysler didn't do so well their earnings and their returns were not good but Ford is uh, Ford didn't join into this mess and Ford fought the unions mm -hmm. they fought both the false bailout they fought the onerous attachment I mean you, you talk about tying an umbilical cord tie yourself to the government which owes it to the union and if you're a corporation you're pretty much done banks want to pay back their money look at them but the government can actually say no we don't want it back from you right. you have to apply to give back the money if you decide you don't want it well, I'll tell you this one thing. This is about government control. And I'll tell you one thing about Ford. They did something smart, and they, you know, they understood their shortcomings. That's why they brought in someone that that was like a um, a rebuilding master, and he ran Boeing. They brought him in to do this with Ford, and I think uh, that that whole company turned around. Um, and then, then on the other side, you get a guy who goes in as the car czar who's had no experience in the car industry, <laughs> and you've got Ratner, who was the White House's chief guy for a while on cars, yeah. who makes a deal with the Chinese companies that in 2012, they'll start importing Chinese cars. Of course. Now, I'm not saying this or accusing this, but the Chinese own how much of our federal debt? And we're making backdoor deals to bring in Chinese imports in 2012. Isn't the union over at GM or the guys that are really worried about the survival of the company a little concerned about more competition? Uh, I would think that they would be, especially with GM right now selling their Opel unit, you know, uh, to uh, to uh, a German company. You know, I mean, if if the unions have that much power and they can have some sort of impact on policy you know have impact on, on policy that's going to help this country not on policy that's not going to do anything or it's going to be self-serving right well if it and the issue is it doesn't serve their interests in the short right. term right. i don't know what their plans i don't think anybody does in the long term but mm -hmm. i think what we have to watch overall is a dangerous trend of influence peddling and meddling in government that doesn't serve the people but serves the special interest mm -hmm. and it's a broad statement people are really in America are waking up and going I want to see the accountability I want to see the books mm -hmm. I want to see the promised transparency mm -hmm. and, and, and again I'll refer back to what I do in my show with this business talk show you know a little bit different than politics where you still delve into the facts because facts matter on the business talk end it's the same principle. In other words, what are the facts behind your your company? What is your approach as you do this? Because that's what people want to hear. They're opening up their checkbooks and balancing them. You've got to do the same thing in your company. Without a doubt, you know, without a doubt that that needs to happen. Uh, and, and I need to let our listeners know that if you don't hear from David or I uh, tomorrow, you know that the union's got to us. I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> uh, the telephone, the communications workers union's probably <laughs> listening in New Jersey to this phone call. Uh, yeah, and look, we could go on. Yeah, well, we can talk about um, this all Obviously, day. almost ad nauseum on this. All I ask of everybody listening is don't take my word for it and Lewis for you don't even take your word for it mm -hmm. take your own 
common sense. Take your own, read, go to the library, get a newspaper, go online, look at it and go, scratch your head and go, is this right? And if it doesn't seem right, spend a little time and educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Because I can sit here and talk about it, but we all have to live with the results. Yep, and that is the bottom line, is that at the end of the day, we all pay the price for policy that is passed and laws that are, that are passed. And, you know, our, either us or our kids will wind up paying the price at some point. So we all have to be take an active role in what happens in this country. Now, David, I know you have a whole schedule lined up for you today. I know you're a busy, busy guy. But I want um, I want to talk about your show, The Grinder. I, I think it's interesting if you can let our listeners know about it because anyone that's interested in hearing about uh, new companies or, or really good companies that are out there should be listening to The Grinder. So maybe you can just give them a little overview. Okay. Well, it's it's a comp it's a new type of business talk show. One, we're going to feature emerging companies, companies that are showing a lot of promise. Yeah, there are a lot of big companies. They exist. We'll have some of them on from time to time. But there are a lot of sectors, energy, environment, technology, uh, you name it. If it's an emerging company, if it shows great promise, if they've done their due diligence and built a good company, then my team and I take a look at it, we talk to them, and we feature them. The other key to this is, as we mentioned at the very beginning of this conversation, that Joe and Jane, the average everyday American, whatever name you want to choose to throw in there, if it's your own, go ahead and use it, need to understand the show. So topical content is a very big part of the show for me. If we're talking about energy, we're going to talk about environment. We're going to talk about solar. We're going to talk about alternative methods. We're going to talk about that story you read this week. And being a weekly show, we have the luxury of all week researching, looking for what's important to the people out there, and talking about it with these guys that are providing a solution through their company. Mm -hmm. So not only are we trying to show you the way to a good public company that you might want to invest in because, let's face it, 70% of America, through some means, whether it's through your mutual fund, your 401k, whatever, you are in the market. And the market needs new blood. And it needs good new blood. So those are the companies we're looking for. Yes, the majors, absolutely. We want to talk about them when they do good things when they grow, because I feature a lot of that news. But those emerging growth companies, they're my zone. Mm -hmm. And then making sure that everybody who's listening can say, hmm, I understand that, or I don't quite get it, but I'm going to check into this. I'm going to go see what Zag Industries is about. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take a look at them and see what happens. And maybe I've got a few extra dollars and I want to invest in this, or I want to move out of this in my brokerage account. Or I've never invested, but, hey, I have a future. I'm 25, I'm 35, I'm 40, I'm 50, and I think I want to take a little chance on this. No, I, I think... And that's that's what we do with the show. We, we are not investment advisors. I'm a common sense guy. I'm bringing you something to consider and hoping that you make a decision that serves you well. It's a real business show for real people, and that is the bottom line with that. 
um, the, the grinder. What is uh, the the website uh, website for the show, David? It's thegrindershow.com. And, and uh, by the way, I've added a nice little feature for this show. Uh, again, my creative side, and I took this a little bit from the Fox News strategy room. So. Thanks to Mike Straka for constantly giving me good ideas. Uh, Internet is the second most pervasive media on the planet. Radio's number one because it's in 97% of the households in America. But my show is streamed in live audio and video, and then it's on demand. You can go back, and as the show goes down the road, you can watch any show at any time on my website. So just go to thegrindershow.com if, for instance, you want to learn about Zag. Go there. I am putting up that audio today. So you'll be able to see and hear the show, and that way we're able to reach out beyond the New York market, which is already the biggest market in the country. But Americans are everywhere, and people around the world may want to know about this. Yeah, without a doubt, and the grindtheshow.com is where you need to, uh, where listeners should go to to find out about these emerging companies. Hear what David Webb has to say, because he has a lot of things to say, and, and real things, not just technical analysis of this company or that company or whatever the case may be, because we can sit here all day and tear apart a balance sheet, but what, what our listeners really should understand is that when David's talking about a company, he is bringing common sense into the picture and not so much uh, of the technical part of it, which is a good thing because, again, a real business show for real people, and I think that's fantastic. Now, well, Thank you. It's a, it's a work in progress. I've got a great team. So we're going to keep going. No, no. Well, I think you have uh, a big future with that show. And, you know, us, uh, we at UCW, uh, the UCW radio show, uh, will do what we can to spread that word because I think that people should be listening to a real financial, well, real business show for real people because you can listen to CNBC, look at Bloomberg, or listen to Bloomberg on the radio, watch it on TV. And, yeah, you, you hear all this stuff, but are you really getting – the, pers the perspective from someone that is just like you. Well, and, and you know, an important thing to note, people are out there every day. They're driving. They're doing whatever they need to do. This is a Sunday show, so there's a little bit more of a captive, sometimes home audience or in your car. But most investors don't watch the cable business shows. They simply can't. Mm -hmm. Your lifestyles don't account for that. Um, and that's one of the keys to doing a show like this. And the other key to leaving it up there on demand, which is go back, click through, and, and join our mailing list. We'll let you know what's going on. And if we've got something we think is hot, we'll send it out. We're, we're going to make sure that people really, as I say, get inside the grind. Because the other side of me, Lewis, is if there's real questions about a company, I'm going to grind it up. I am going to break this thing down for you. I, I do have my, uh, you know, a nice guy, don't get me wrong, and I enjoy what I do, and life is good. Right. But if you bring me something that I want to dig into, not in a good or bad way, I'm going to dig into it. So CEOs, be warned. If you come here, bring your A game. Yeah, but that that's a good thing because you're not you're not sitting there telling a story about a company because you know you're you're bringing on a company and you want to make the company look good. You're doing something real, where you're saying, okay, well you have this product, you want to come on our show? Come on, we're gonna rip it apart and make it make sense. If it doesn't make sense, you're gonna expose them for that. 
which is right, and that serves the company. Sure, and it, but you're, ser you're serving the people. But you're serving the people as well by doing that. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's I mean I have a mantra for this show, and look, the name the grinder. I could have called it the David Webb Show, but mm -hmm. that wasn't what I wanted. I wanted something that carried more than just a show. Mm -hmm. And frankly, I was just driving down the road and I said, yeah, the grinder, when I grind it up. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, why? That's and that, that's really where the name came from. I said, the grinder, grind it up, break it down, run it through the meat grinder. Think of all those images. Think of that thing just really digging into it. Uh, and I'm a little excited about that. I love that. You know, and I'm having fun with it. That that's I do the, the hard thing. work, but I'm having some fun with it, and that's the that's for me personally is the right. really good part. But you know that when you're having fun with with a show, with a radio show, that that kind of like zooms in through the radio because you're enjoying what you do. That means the program's going to be that much better. So you know, listeners will be entertained, but also they're gonna. They're going to get something out of it where the, when the show is over, they're going to say, yeah, you know, uh, he was, you know, David Webb was talking about XYZ Company. This is what they're doing. They're going to be in a store one day and see this and say, oh, wow, I saw this on, on the grinder. And it becomes yep. something that's interesting for them. Um, and look, if I get something and you say I have a question, you call into the show. You right. Twitter it. You Facebook it. We've got the pages open during the show. If there's a way to get to us, you can get to the grinder, yes, and we'll answer your question, or we'll ask it of that person. Um, one other point I'd like to make is I'm mm -hmm. fortunate to have a good relationship with a lot of great people in the business community, and my contributors list will be a, it is and will be an A-list. I have everybody from former federal uh, prosecutors to Wall Street insiders to guys like David Asman, uh, Neil Cavuto, Eric Bolin. Uh, Tracy Burns. I, I, of course, I'm going after the people at CNBC. I want a voice from all the experts out there mm -hmm. and give them a chance to come and help educate the business community. Uh, and, and in true radio fashion, just like we're going to do, mm -hmm. we'll cross-promote each other. Without a doubt. And I think that by you doing that, you're, again, and I keep, I, I'm going to sound redundant, but you are doing a service for the people, for your listeners, because at that point, they know that you're doing all that you can do to bring them, to, to bring something in front of them that they can really, you know, they can do some, they can get some due diligence done on that show. Absolutely, and, and that's fantastic. I mean, that, that that's a big thing, and I love that you're doing that. Uh, that's the GrindTheShow.com. Uh, now, David, do do you have any? Um, you know, you say that the listeners can uh, they can tweet you and they can find you here, find you there. Uh, I know we went through some stuff today. If we stood on the phone, you have a busy day. If we stood on the phone, we I can stay on the phone with you forever. Okay, and talk about this stuff. But you know what? Then you and I would be uh, probably fall asleep or probably be broke, one of the two. So these are two things that we don't want to do because uh, you're meeting with some powerful people today, and I don't want to hold you from that. But is there anything that you need to go over uh, before we close out today? Well, there, there's a couple of other key things. One, starting with the show. I mean, that's that's my main thing right now. That's my my immediate passion, and there are several. The other things, I have an organization the Tea Party organization, TeaParty365.org, a nonprofit, nonpartisan advocacy organization. And again, in going with my show, we're advocating for fiscal responsibility. So I urge people to go to that website. Mm -hmm. We are 
a content rich. We are putting the information out there. Again, I'm not trying to tell you how to think, what political party to agree to. Just go and think for yourself. Mm-hmm. And aside from that, I think my main thing is, what can I do personally? And I was asked this question a few years ago when I uh, moved back to the New York market. Uh, I took a break. I said, I don't know, you know, radio, I've been doing it a long time. I'm doing this. And someone said, you know, you have a voice. There's a good friend of mine. And I think you should consider using it outside of your own comfort zone. So I've taken on writing. And now, believe me, that's grunt work. Radio, no problem. Right. Grunt work is writing. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, 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 you're telling me, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, you, you got to dig in. You got to oh. research. You got to get through 200 pages to get 700, 700 words together. Yeah. That makes sense to somebody. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm focusing on the show, my appearances. I'm pushing an agenda that serves the American people. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is I'm pushing awareness right. and self-thought, accountability and responsibility. Right. And that's what I ask of everybody. Well, that's good. I think uh, any of our listeners that are listening to the show, they should uh, actually go to the Tea Party site. Uh, definitely increase their awareness of what's going on uh, around us. You know, whether you're Republican, Democrat, liberal, whatever you may be, you should know what's going on and be aware of how policy is going to affect you and your family and and uh, the next generation. And I think that's highly important. And actually, we are going to. You're going to take that link, and we're going to have it on the UCW Radio uh, website so people can find an easy way. If you're not going to get it on the show, uh, the link, you'll just go to the website and find it. And that's yep. it. And, and then that's it, and that's what they can do. Um, did you want to add something to that, David? No, I, I, I thank you. I, I cannot say thank you enough. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited to do this. I love your site, by the way. Oh, I, you. I'm a techie. You know, I ah. like to go to websites. <laughs> And it's a cool site. I mean, we'll put all the radio stuff and politics aside, man. Yeah. I was clicking through this thing going, this guy really gets to a lot of people. Yeah, we we, we, reach, we you know, reach And, and by the way, you know, I'll make sure I put you on my site. Oh, I appreciate you know, We're, we're going to share. We're going to promote them. There you the go. The American community, man. We, that, we all get along. That, we don't agree it. on everything. We may, we may not. Right. Well, that, that's what it is. It, it comes down to growth. And again, the, the, the grinder show, I think that you have a, a, a vast future uh, with that. And more importantly, your reach, I know, is going to increase and you're going to get syndicated and people are going to want to hear you, you know, coast to coast. But beyond that, continent to continent, because you have people overseas, whether they're in Europe or whether they're in Asia, whether they're in the Middle East, that are interested in what people are saying here. And you're one of those voices that I know that they want to hear because you're you're not bringing um, you're not bringing something to the table that is bias. It's right. Bias. And look, we're a global community. Mm-hmm. We're a global economic community. We're a global business community. We're even a global political body to an extent because we have to interact with each other. Right. So you know, there no the old no man is an island. No country stands alone anymore. We certainly, you know, I believe in American sovereignty, American Mm -hmm. excellence, and all those things. But I recognize, like many people do, that we're part of the world community. And Mm -hmm. believe it or not, for all the bad news that a lot of people try to spit about America, and we're bad, and we're this, let me tell you something. We're the best. Mm -hmm. 
I am a proud American. My family's been here in one branch in 1600s. And I look at that history now in my middle years, <laughs> we'll call it that. And I say, boy, you know what? We've been here, but there's continuity. And America is the greatest, most successful experiment on the face of the planet, yep. in the history of the planet. Yep. And we we should be proud of that. Americans should stand up. You don't have to beat your chest and salute the flag every morning. Kind of walk around and go, you know what? I got it pretty good. There's a lot of great places in the world. I've been mm -hmm. to many of them. But I'm living in what I consider the overall, I'm in the cream right here. Yeah. Well, you know something, for people that, that, that live here that are born and bred in America that really have so much negativity to say about this country, you know, beyond politics, but they have negativity to say about the country and how we are as a people, they should go get on a plane, go somewhere else. Go somewhere else where you, you have poverty. Watch how people live and see the, that you're blessed to be here. Because there's nowhere on the planet that you can actually go and achieve what you can achieve here in America. And, I, and I'm a strong believer in that because without that, David, you wouldn't be on the radio. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. And the opportunities would not be there for us. And I, I know that wholeheartedly. Well, you know, I, I, I would like to add one thing to this, and it's been my mantra for a number of years now, that the real American dream is opportunity. Mm -hmm. It was kind of redefined in the 90s as getting a house, the yard, the picket fence, and all those things. But the real American dream is opportunity. Whether you want to be a radio host, whether you want to build a great organization like UCW, whether you want to drive a truck, be a Wall Street trader, be a nurse, a doctor, or a teacher, in America, nothing's ever perfect, but you have the opportunity. Somewhere there's some help that may get you to that goal. And that's why, that's why we're successful, because Americans have opportunity. I, I agree. I agree. And that, on that note, I'm not going to even add anything to that, because you said it all. And David, I have to say it was a awesome great pleasure you're an amazing guy it was great to have you here and i know that your future is uh, not only uh, radio and television but in life uh, uh you your your life will get brighter and brighter because it's the, the things that you're doing and what you're bringing to the table and you're not even close to being done yet i know that uh and again we can go through your whole we could have went through your whole life on this show but we it would be friday and we can't do that because we have things to do. <laughs> you know, yeah, real life exists outside that door I'm about to open. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But if it's okay with you, we'd like to have you back on the show, and, you know, down the road, and you get an update with, with what's going on, talk about things that are going to be changing in, in Washington, we hope, you know, when, when Congress starts figuring things out, when the President starts figuring things out, because his health care policy situation is a nightmare, and I'm, I'm going to want your input on that, and I think that uh, it would be fantastic to have you on if that's okay with you. That's absolutely okay, and I'm going to return the invitation. I'd like to have you on the grinder Ooh. sometime in the near future. Let's uh, talk and figure out a time and get together because <clears throat> what you're doing here is also presenting something important to the people. Mm -hmm. uh, I, again, I look at the people you have and they're telling their stories and, mm -hmm. and they're talking about their careers. And it's just, it's this mosaic mm -hmm. 
that needs to be told. So I I, yes. I want to do my part too. We'll do a little cross promote. We'll have a little radio fun. Most we'll chat for a while. Most definitely. You, you'll eat me up. Forget about it. <laughs> I'll try to hold yeah, my own. I'll try. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll sit there. We'll have a few laughs. We'll talk a little business. No but doubt. what you're doing is also another business sector. Yeah. Being successful in the in the in cyberspace, but also touching in real life like you do, right. is another way to hybrid and create and kind of join two areas. Yeah, and that's important. You, you know what's funny is that I, you know, whenever I'm speaking to a guest, and I'll just touch on this really quickly, then uh, we'll we'll close out. But I hear, you know, when I speak to guests and they uh, they tell me this, I'm like, wow, that's interesting. That. I, I don't. I think that I'm doing something. I think what you're doing is more than what I'm doing, um, and I maybe I don't realize it. You know, even uh, the person, the, the girl that I'm with, she tells me the same thing, and I just, for me, it's like, uh, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm just doing what I do. For some reason, I feel this is the right thing to do. That's why I'm doing it. But if it's serving a purpose and is actually going and and helping people to to uh, see that. People are people. They go through their things in life, and then they achieve great things because they want it. They don't let the obstacles block them. Just like you. You went through stuff during your career, during your life, but you are where you are. And that's why yeah, you... You can't let somebody stop you. And Look, we all have down moments. We all get... Everybody's been fired. Everybody's been through something that wasn't so good. Mm -hmm. But it's what you do after that. I agree. I agree. So wake up the next morning, you know... I, I had pretty good parents. So get up, go do it. That's it. Or, or as I, I'll use a short story and let you close. Dr. Polini, my doctor many years ago when I was in college, mm -hmm. you know, bad breakup with the girlfriend, came home to visit, time for my checkup. He says, you look down. He says, yeah, we had this. And I broke. He goes, hey, David. And he did it with the Italian accent. Mm -hmm. He said, you and Johnny Galati and the guys, he goes, you go out, I want you to get drunk, and I want you to wake up tomorrow and go get another girlfriend. Stop crying. And Dr. Polini, man, God rest your soul up there where you are, buddy. You were right. I got off my butt. Yeah. And some, sometimes you have to do that and just shake it off and go forward and don't sit there in a state of depression because that will kill you quicker than a bullet. Yep. And it's a slow, painful death. Oh, yeah. Now, you, you don't want any of that. Any of our listeners, you're in situations like that, guess what? Pew! Hit the road and hit the bricks and just be happy in your life because life is beautiful. Life is a gift that is meant to be opened and not to sit there in the, in the bottom of a closet with clothes on top of it. You have to live your life. And if it's not going to be, uh, you're not going to live it to the fullest with the person you're with, then guess what? I, and again, maybe I'm cold for say, saying this, but find somebody else that you can share your life with and be happy. You know, live it in vignettes, but live it in its totality. There, it's a great life. There you go. There you go. David, thank you once again, uh, and we look forward to having you on the show again. And our listeners can find out more about David Webb by going to two sites, thegrindtheshow.com, that's his uh, new venture that's going on, and also David Webb Online, that's Webb with two Bs, online.com. Find out more about this guy. He's fantastic. Uh, honestly, uh, it was an honor having him on here. And when you listen to the show online, you'll, you you can watch the footage. You can see it live, on demand, so on and so forth, and find out more about what he's talking about. It's a great show. You can catch him every Sunday between 11 and 12 on 970 AM, The Apple in New York City. If you're not in New York, then go to your website. 
Uh, go to thegrindtheshow.com and uh, catch the show there. It's a great show. You don't want to miss it. What is your major malfunction? All let it be written. All let it be done. Ladies and gentlemen, my mother thanks you, my father thanks you, my sister thanks you, and I thank you.